for strength. I don't take this for granted. I'm, I'm thankful to be able to open up God's Word with you, and I invite you to open up to 1 Kings chapter 2 as we continue our study through the book of Kings. Now, here's, here's what's interesting here. Um, you know, when you, whenever you get sick and sometimes you, you know, your mind wanders and all that, you start to think to yourself, well, what if I don't make it? You know, I, I told Katie, I said, you know, I used to think, man, my dad died young. He was only 55 and he died young. And now that I'm 47, I used to think there's no way that I'll die before him. I don't know now. I don't know with all this stuff that, that that's going on. Who knows, you know, how much longer we have. And it makes you think, you know, some of the questions that you would ask yourself or ask people. I had a, I had a professor who was about to retire um, Dr. Turk, one of my favorite, and I've mentioned him before here, he turned 70 years old, and as he was just, that semester as he was teaching, he was, he was walking, and his left leg gave out, and he didn't know what exactly that meant, but, um, you know, and he said, guys, will you pray for me? He was calm about it, just pray for me, and see what God has, and we prayed, and sure enough, it was a heart issue. And he wound up having a major heart attack that semester. And then at the very end of the semester, um, he, he used to say, he used to joke around with us and say, men, isn't it amazing? You start life in diapers and you end life in diapers. And he was in diapers. And he said, I better write some things down that I want people to remember of me and to remember what they should do. What would you say? Here's a question for you. If you knew you were about to die. Now, now a lot of us, you know, some of the younger people are like, well, we got years for this, so we don't have to worry about this. But, uh, what advice? Now, don't get morbid now and think every time you get a little sniffle, you're gone and you won't buy, you know, uh, you know, green bananas because you're going to be dead in a week. No, don't think that. And don't, don't think every time you get sick, you call your kids over. Let me just tell you before I go, I got to tell you a few things, you know, and, and all that. But really, have you ever thought of this? What would you say if you knew this was your last week? What, what, would, what advice would you give for your friends? Have you ever thought of that question? And, and, and Dr. Turk, before he passed away, one of his friends called him up and said, hey, you know what, you're not doing too well. And he's like, yeah, you're right. He goes, you better write some things down. And so he did. And he, he wrote a, a couple of things. I'm not going to mention all the things that he meant, but listen to a couple of the things that he told that people that he wanted people to, to hear and understand. He said, uh, the sole goal or the sole purpose of this life is to prepare for the next life. That's great advice. The word of God is the only truth that matters. That's excellent advice. Without the Lord, I can do nothing. And he has all verses next to these. Character is what defines a man, not what he does. Don't ever trust yourself. If it's worth believing, it's worth dying for. And then I love this one. Marrying the right woman is the key to personal life and ministry. Wow. 
What would you say? You had a few words to say. You had a couple comments to make. What would, what would you say to somebody? You're on your bed. You don't know if you're going to make it or not. What would you say? It made me think what I would say or what I would want to say. Now, when we come to this, look at this in First, First Kings chapter 2, verses uh, 1 to 4. As we look at this, David's time to die drew near. He's only 70 years old, but he's been reigning for 40 years. And if you remember, he, he sinned with Bathsheba. He has a child with her and the son. What happens to the son? He has a child and the son dies. And then he has another son with Bathsheba, and his name is called what? Solomon. Interesting. What was the difference between the first son that died and the second son that didn't die? Well, God's grace. God's grace. In fact, Solomon means peaceful, or the word can mean also he was called Jedidiah or, or, or Jed, the beloved of God. So God loves this kid from the very beginning. And, and David is now, it's his time to draw near, and he's going to give a charge to Solomon. And, and let me just tell you something. This is interesting in verse 1. His time to die drew near. What does that tell you? There is a time to what? Die. To die. Now, I don't want to scare anyone, but the statistics say one out of one, what happens to them? They die. All right. So get excited that you get over COVID one day, but I'm here to tell you, one day you're not going to make it. All right. You're not gonna make it. Unless the Lord comes back, we're all in trouble here. One day there's a time and we're not going to live one minute more or one minute less than that. God has that time. Praise the Lord. But what is said of David's life is amazing. Look at this. In, in, in Acts 13, 36, it says this for David, after he served the purpose of God. In his own generation. In other words, man is immortal until he served the very purpose of God. When our purpose is done, when God, when we have served the very purpose of God, that's when our time is up. And he served the purpose of God. Can it be said of our lives when we go that Jeremy Estrema served the purpose of God in his life? That's what we want. And he served the purpose of God. He, he got the city going and, and he got, he got the dynasty going all by God's grace. And he got, he didn't get to build the temple. That's okay. But he served the purpose of God. And now it's his time. And he looks at his, his son. Look at this back to first Kings two one. And he charges Solomon, his son. And he says this. Here's what I want you to do. He says, I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a what? A man. How about that for advice? By the way, you know now we can't say man up? You know that's a sexist statement? That some people get mad at that if you look at it and say man up. You know, we use, we use, that, we use that phrase there, you know, man up. What does man up mean? Be strong. Get in there. Man up. Man up. Be courageous. You would use this. To, to, for a soldier that's going off the war, be strong and show yourself a man. Be a man. Don't be scared. Be a man. But that's not what it's saying. If I was to ask you today and we were to talk about this, what is a man or what is being a man or show yourself a man, we'd have all different answers here. Some people think being a man is somebody who knows how to fish and hunt and can live out in the wilderness in a tent 
and sit out there in the cold weather. Why would you do that when there's all these hotels with the cold weather and go out there and sit, blow on a stupid horn, wait for a turkey to fly in there and shoot it. When you can buy one at Hy-Vee for 10 bucks. <coughs> or Safeway, we don't have a Hy-Vee here. Safeway. What is a man? Is that a man? Some people think a man is somebody who knows himself with the ladies. He's a ladies' man. He's a man. That's a man. When he walks, he's eye candy. They whistle. What a man. That's a man. Look at that man. He's got 50 girlfriends. That's a man. Some people think a man is somebody who knows how to take care of their family, makes a lot of money, and supports their family. That's a man. Look how he works for his family. He makes six figures, seven figures. He works his tail off. That's a man. He knows how to provide. Let me tell you something. You can have all that and not be a man. He doesn't say, go out and show yourself. Be a man. Be a man. Show yourself. Be strong. Be a warrior. He doesn't tell him any of that. Here's what he tells him. He says, I want you to show yourself a man. I want you to be a man. Here's a man. Look at this verse, verse 3. Here's a man. A man is a, man, a person who keeps the charge of the Lord. A man is somebody who walks with God. That's a man. When you think of a man, it's somebody who has the courage to take a stand for God. Who lives for God. Who puts God first in his life. No matter what he makes. No matter whether he can throw a fish hook in the water or not. No matter how much muscles he has. He's a man because he walks with God. And let me just tell you something. We need men. We need people who are willing to take a stand for God. Because it is getting harder and harder. I was thinking of Canada right now. <coughs> where they're not even allowed to talk about certain things. Where they're threatened with five years of jail. If they even mention the lesbian, gay, transgender in personal conversations with people, forget about the pulpit. And yet there are 4,000, MacArthur called 4,000 men to get into the pulpit and preach on it and show themselves to be a man and preach the word. That's a man. A man understands when there's temptation in lives, I'm going to live for God. A, a man is somebody who says, I am committed to the Lord no matter what the cost, and it will cost. A man is not somebody like we, the world defines a man. He says right here, show yourself to be a man. Walk in his ways. And look what he does in verse 3. He says this, you will keep his statutes. He mentions seven different words for the word of God, the commandments, the ordinances, the testimonies, all the things that are written in the, Moses. Why is he saying seven different words? Here's why. Because it's not just that we get to pick and choose which words of God we want to follow. We have to follow them all. We can't just say, I like this part of the Bible. I'll follow that. I'll be a man. I'll follow that. But that part of the Bible, uh-uh. You know, I'll follow this part, but not that. No, all of it matters to God. And here's what he says. I want you to show yourself a man. Be a man. Here's why. You'll walk in his ways. And verse 4, here it is. Or verse 3, at the end of verse 3, he says, That you may succeed in all that you do. Here it is. I love this. At the end of the day, what makes a successful life? Does it make a successful life that I could fend for myself? No. 
Am I a successful person because I, I, I have results in my life? No. What makes a successful life is being faithful to God's word. I told our kids today, I said, there's a lot of people sick. We don't know who's going to come to church. How do we know we can have a successful day today? And they're looking at me they're like, what do we do? How can we have a successful day today? They're like, uh, we go there and do what God wants us to do. How can you be successful in your work? You go there and do what God wants you to do. How can you be successful in your marriage? You go and do what God wants you to do. That's success. Success is faithfulness. Whether they respond or not, we don't know. But we have to define success like the Bible. He says, walk in God's ways and you will succeed. You will have success. You stay close to God. You will succeed. That is true success. And not only that, he says in verse 4, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. You will have a long kingdom. So what a charge. The last moments of his life, David looks at his son and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk with God. Be strong. It's not going to be easy. But walk with him. Know his word. Live his word. Does Solomon respond? Oh, he does. Look at this. Isn't this beautiful? Watch this. Solomon responds to God. His request to God. Look at this. Now, Solomon in 1 Kings 3, 3, watch this. He did what? He loved who? The Lord. Now, you say, Jeremy, what's so important about that? What's so special about that? What? So he loved God. Who cares about that? Aren't there many kings that love God? And the answer is no. You want to know something amazing about this little phrase? We know that David loved the Lord because he says in the Psalms, I love you, Lord. But this is the only description of all the kings, where it says he loved the Lord. That's pretty amazing. He is the only one when they mention Solomon loved the Lord. Doesn't say this king loved the Lord, that king loved the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, which means he loved God. He 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 denied himself. He sought to get he loved the Lord. He had a true relationship with God. I could just see him taking his father's words and saying, my father said, you know what? I need to walk with God. And guess what? I'm going to love God. I'm going to walk with God. And he did. He loved the Lord. He responded well. And you read verse 3 and you say, wait a minute. Didn't he make a mistake here? It says, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Well, that's really not a knock against Solomon. This is before the temple was built. He was able to do that. He's really loving the Lord. He's showing his love for the Lord. You say, where? Look at this. In verse 4, he offered a thousand burnt offerings. <laughs> How can you get a thousand animals on the altar? I mean, this is crazy. A thousand burnt offerings. I mean, he really loves God. He, he is serving the Lord. He is walking with the Lord. He is sacrificing to God. His life is the Lord's. And God comes to him in a dream. And he says this. Ask me whatever you wish to give you. Now this isn't Aladdin. This isn't a genie coming out of a bottle where you get three more wishes. This is one wish. One wish. Now my question to you is if you had this one wish, what would it be? Have you thought about this one? Right? Some would wish for more brains. Right? 
Um, some would wish for less fat. We won't go there. Some will wish for more skills. Some would wish this COVID thing to be gone. Amen. Some would wish all sicknesses gone, everything gone, all diseases gone. I just wish that would happen. What would you, if you had one thing to ask God and go before the Lord, what would it be? Before you do, watch what Solomon does. He, he, he asks with a grateful heart. He starts to praise God. He goes before the Lord and he says this. Then Solomon said, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on the throne as this day. He goes before God and he says this, God, I am amazed on how wonderful you are and how your chesed love, your loving kindness, your great loving kindness, the love that never gives up on me, that you love me and the fact that you love my father and you've given him a son on his throne. This is amazing. He is going and worshiping God. So here's what I say. Before we even ask God for anything, we ought to thank him for what we have. And thank him. For who he is. And he goes before God and he says, God, I just want to thank you for who you are. You, what great loving kindness that you've shown to my father and that I'm on the throne. This is amazing. I love you. And then he does this in verse 7. He asks with a humble heart. He says, oh Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. Yet I am but a what? Now, he wasn't just a little baby here. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I don't have the experience to do this. I don't have the strength to do this. And let me just tell you, the most dangerous place we can ever be is when we think we got it and we can take care of it. God wants us in the place where we go before him and we say, Lord, I don't have the experience. I don't have the power. I need you. I need you. Lord, I can't be the husband you want me to be. I need you. Lord, I can't be the child you want me to be for my father. I need you. I can't lead the place that you have me. I need you. I am a little child. I can't do it. When a leader comes here and he says, you know what? I think I can lead here. I can handle this church. That's when they're in big trouble because they can't. He goes before and he says, Lord, I am just an inexperienced. I don't... I, all these people, I don't know how to do this. When was the last time you went before God and you said, Lord, I come before you, I'm in a situation, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know how to handle that person, Lord. I, I mean, I'm inexperienced. So here's what I want. And you're going to be amazed. In verse 8. He says, your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people, which are too many to be counted or numbered. Watch this. Give your servant a what? An understanding heart. This is a very interesting prayer request. Do you know what he's praying for God to do? 
He is asking God, and, and I had to stop it. It stopped me in my track. How many times have we asked God to do this? He is asking God, not only for wisdom, because people look at this, he's asking God for wisdom. You've missed it if you think this is just wisdom. He's not asking for just wisdom here. He is asking for an understanding heart. Do you know what that means? The, the word there in the, in the Hebrew understanding is the word to obey or to listen. He's saying, God, give me a heart that will listen to you and obey you. Wow. Lord, I come before you and I'm not only asking you to help me to know what to do, I'm asking you to help me to listen to you. Let me tell you what's the difference between a kid on the field that you want to coach and a kid on the field that you don't want to coach. Listen up, I'm honest. A kid on the field you want to coach and a kid on the field you don't want to coach. A kid on the field that you don't want to coach is the one who thinks they got it all going. And you tell them and it goes through one ear and out the what? The other. Well, they know it. There's people like that in the church. They know the Bible. Oh, man, yeah, teach me the Bible. I know, I, I, I know this one. I know this one. And they don't listen. He's asking for a heart that what? Listens. The person you want to coach is somebody that not only listens, but is coachable and says, you know what? Give me a heart to obey. He is asking God that he would have a heart to listen to him. What a prayer. And not so he could be a super spiritual guy. He wants a heart. Look what this one guy says about the heart. Philip Riker, I never met him. He says, the, the word for mind or heart does not refer to the brain or the emotions, but the whole person, the intellect, the affections, even the will. Solomon was asking that his whole person would be able to discern the will of God. This is so important. When we go to God and pray and we say, Lord, give me a heart to understand what you want out of my life. Help me to listen to you, God. Here's why he says in the passage. So that I can judge your people. To discern between good and evil. You see, once we have a heart that listens to God and we understand what God would want out of our lives. We'll know how to play. We'll know how to live. We'll know how to work. And we'll know how to die. Because our heart has listened to God. We'll know when it's time to rest. We all hate it, don't we? we we're, we're doers. We get sick and guess what? We can't do as much as we'd like. So we're like, oh man, I got to stay in bed all day and... You know, watch Hallmark movies and cry. I don't like that. You know, I, I just, I hate resting and all that. I hate resting. We're doers. And God says what? Rest. Some of us don't know how to work. We work too much. We work too late. We don't work enough. We work, we're out of balance at our work. Listen, when we have a heart that listens to God, we'll know how much to work. Some people don't know how to live. They're, they're running with a chicken, with a, like a head without a chicken. They're running with a, a chicken with a head out, without a, whatever it is, with a head, with a, whatever it is. They're running somehow. They don't know how to live. They don't win. They're not listening to God. They're listening to what the world says. You need this and you need that and you got to do this and you got to do that. And there's some people who don't know how to die. Let me just tell you something. 
When you listen to God, you understand that we need Jesus Christ as our Savior, that he died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again. And the moment that we accept Christ, we're ready to die. It's okay. We're safe in his hands. Listening to God will help you discern that. And that's why he asked for a heart to help him to judge the people, to understand, to listen to him so he would discern God's will and to know God's will for his life so he can serve the purposes of God to take advantage of the time that God has given to him. So what happens to Solomon? Does he listen to God? <laughs> he loves him. He prays for it. But he has a compromise in his life. You see, he loved God, but he also loved, look at verse 1 here, many foreign women. Now, let me just tell you, the problem isn't the women. The problem is his heart. And you say, why would he love all these women? Well, it was a political alliance. He, he, power was part of the problem, but it's a heart issue here. And the fact that the matter is, is it doesn't even matter how many women, and we're going to see how many women he had here in a moment. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. It's terrible. It's unbelievable. But he loved many foreign women. Many, that's a little understand. Many foreign women. We're going to see. But the word of God, look at verse 2, told them, don't do that. Here's why. You shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away. Solomon, don't do it. The Bible says don't do it. Don't forsake the Lord. Walk with God. Show yourself a man. No. It says in verse 2, he held fast to these in love. How many of them? Verse 3. Wow, you ready for the number? Here it is. 700 wives. That's a lot. But that wasn't enough. He needed 300 girlfriends too. You guys are looking at this. You're like, this is great. I mean, we... We get, on, we get on certain people out here in the world. You know, who was it? Walt Chamberlain. How many wives did he have? And all these people that have all these wives. Zsa Gabor. How many husbands did she have? One lasted a day. I mean, it's crazy. You know, you got all these people that are in a, men, all this. That, 700? 300 girlfriends? We've heard all the jokes. Here's the problem with it. They turned his heart Where? Away. There was a compromise in his life and it turned his heart away. This doesn't just happen in a moment. It turned his heart away. Here's a guy who loves God, who prays for a listening heart to do what God wants. And yet this compromise in his life turned his heart away from God. And that's what happens to us. It's a gradual process. Watch this. His heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord is God. And that's what God wants. He wants a heart that is set on Him. How does that happen? Here's how it happens. It happens to every one of us. Even me. You. Everyone. Here's how it happens. First, we are friendly with the world. We say, you know what? Wow, look what the world has. That's kind of nice. And we really don't want any opposition against the world. So we start to go along with what they say and we're friendly with them and we start to dabble in some of their stuff. Then what? look at the next step here. Then all of a sudden we're spotted by the world. The world has left its mark on us and now we're living almost like the world but not exactly like the world but we got some marks of the world on us. 
Then all of a sudden we start to love the world. And, 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 and wow, what they have, I want. And now our values are their values. And our point of view is their point of view. And all of that. And we start to love the world. And then all of a sudden we are conformed to the world. And we're no different than the world. Here's how it happens. You ready? Boy, money's fun. I like money. If I work, I make money. If I keep working and work and kill myself, I make more money. So let me keep making money and money and money and money and God goes back, back, back to nothing. Young person says, I want to get married. But so-and-so isn't a Christian, so what? I can, I can date them and hopefully they become a Christian and all of a sudden they start to do that and their hearts turn away from the Lord. It's these small decisions that we make that all of a sudden turn into a life without God. I couldn't believe it when we were in Argentina, when we started the church, this young lady started to come. She would beat us to church. She was so excited about church. We'd show up and open up and she was there like, oh, I can't wait for church. I just loved it. I love it. I love it. She loved it. All of a sudden, after about six months, she stopped coming as much, stopped coming as much, stopped coming, and then all of a sudden totally stopped. We said, what happened? She said, well, I just started not reading my Bible. I started not praying. I started to seek my job and do those things. And all of a sudden now, I really don't want to be around God and his people. That's how it happens. He married the first one, the second one, the third one, the fourth one. He keeps going down to the 700th one. He has 300. He, just married. he allows them to worship their gods. He allows them to associate their gods. And all of a sudden, here's Solomon living for their gods. His heart was turned away. It starts so small in our lives. It starts like this. I probably shouldn't have bought that, but you know what? It wasn't that expensive, and I'll be in debt for a few months, but that's okay. I'll get over it. And then all of a sudden, we find ourselves in tremendous amount of debt. It starts so small. I probably shouldn't have watched that show, but that show, you know, didn't have too much nudity in it. That's fine. It won't, it won't kill me. It's not pornography. It's fine. And all of a sudden, the person is trapped in pornography. It starts so small, and it just keeps growing and growing, and our hearts turn. So how do we stop that? Here's how. Here's what Solomon said if he only listened to his own words. He said, watch over your heart. Watch over your heart with all diligence. Set a watchman over it. And what he's really saying is this. Make sure that you, when you, these desires and, and the world is talking, there's a filter there. There's a filter. There's a watchman over your heart. And it's not something that you can do by yourself because you can't. We need God for this. The watchman is the very word of God. Let the word of God filter your desires, your heart issues, what's going on in your mind. Filter that by what God says. And when they contradict each other, let God win. 
not your desires. So when you hear these desires, oh, I got to make more money, or I, I, I got to do this, and I got to keep doing that, and I got to keep doing that. What does God's word say? Watch your heart. Filter those desires with what the word of God says. Put a watchman over it. Because you know what? The battle is here. From, from it, talking about the heart, springs the life. Flow the springs of life. It just flows out. All the issues of life. That's where it flows. It's a heart issue. So when he looks at him and he says this, he says, Solomon, I want you to be strong. I want you to be a man. There's going to be temptations in your life, but you stand firm. You walk with God. And he loves the Lord and offers up a thousand sacrifices to God. And he loves God, but power, women, lust, all of a sudden, his heart turns. So my question today is, what is trying to turn your heart? There's something. We all struggle with different things. What is turning your heart? Here's what's amazing about Dr. Turk. Here he is. He knows he's going to die. He knows his time is up. He would sit and teach us because he couldn't stand anymore. He didn't have the strength. But one thing he did is he finished well. And he gave us the word of God and he taught us the word of God and he was there and gave us his all to the very last moment. You say, you know what? My heart has turned many times, but now it's not too late to turn it back to God. And they say, Lord, what's trying to take over me and causing me to turn away from you? Let's bow in prayer. Father, it's so easy, Lord, to let a little anger into our hearts and let it fester there and then all of a sudden bring us to a broken relationship or even worse, us doing harm to that person. It's so easy for us to let a little lust into our hearts and all of a sudden find us emotionally attached to somebody other than who you put into our lives. It's so easy for us to let a little greed into our hearts and all of a sudden find us working like crazy and nothing for God. So Lord, we ask you to help us to watch over our hearts. Here is Solomon, Lord, and he had the charge to be strong and to show himself a man, to walk with you, because that's a true person of you. Somebody who walks with you, who takes your word seriously. That's true success. At the end of the day, when we die, that's true success. That we've walked with you. And Lord, he loved you. And he sacrificed. And he asked you to give him a heart that would listen to you. 
And yet even doing all that, he allowed little compromises in his life to come and eventually turn his heart away from you. Lord, we're all susceptible of that. So God, I pray that we, when those desires come into our heart by the Holy Spirit, we would fight against sin, that we would confess our sins, and that, Lord, that you would help us to put a watchman, a guard over that heart. For that person who is lonely is willing to compromise their convictions just to have a person in their lives. Put a watch over their heart, a guard over their heart. For that person who's tempted on the internet or TV or whatever it may be, Lord, put a guard over their heart. For that person who is tempted greed to cut corners, to do things that don't honor and please you, cheat on taxes, whatever it may be, God, put a guard on their hearts. For those who are tempted to be emotionally attached to other people other than their spouses, Lord, put a guard on their hearts. We need a guard on our hearts. We pray you would help us to filter those desires through your word and to walk with you with a whole heart, a devoted heart, a heart that pleases you. Thank you for your grace when we fall. Thank you for your mercy of bringing things up into our lives that need to be changed. And I pray, oh God, that you continue to use us mightily for your honor and glory. May today be a day of change. In Jesus' name, amen.